Don't forget to check out our website, HockeyHurts.com, and check us out on Twitter, at Hockey underscore Hertz. Additionally, you can follow Cameron Walsh, at Walshy66, and Ryan Wilson, at Gunner Stahl. Hello and welcome to the Hockey Hurts podcast for February 8th of 2015. I'm Ryan Wilson. I'm Cameron Walsh. And in this edition of the podcast, we are going to touch on the Evander Kane situation up in Winnipeg. We are going to talk about some of the uh, bigger defense rental players that are on the market and who may be uh, some of the better fits for those players. We'll talk a little bit about the Western Conference playoffs, um, how that may shake out. Uh, we would have done the Eastern Conference, but uh, those teams are are pretty locked in at this point in time. And then we'll uh, discuss a little bit about the Minnesota Wild and uh, how they're all of a sudden magically better. So uh, we're going <laughs> to jump right in. We're going to start off with um, one of the more popular topics in the in the last week with Evander Kane. Cameron, uh, what do you have on that? Um, one, I don't think that the Jets handled it particularly well. Um, and I mean that in the sense that Kane's obviously been playing with a, with a torn labrum for, I would suggest, most of the year because his production in regards to his actual goal scoring and point producing uh, has been down. So... You know, Kane did the right thing by the team, kept his mouth shut, said he wasn't injured, said he was healthy, doing the right thing, wished I could produce better, but I'm happy to play on the third line. You know, as a third line, we're, we're playing well together. You know, did all the right things. And then he has a, a couple of blow-ups towards the end of all of this, and they're pretty quick to want to throw him under the bus. So it'll be interesting to see... I don't think he survives in Winnipeg. I think he ends up oh, he's done, moving. Man. That's for sure. Yeah. So it will be interesting to see the washout in all of this in regards to who speaks out first and what happens and all that sort of stuff. So I, I think it could have been handled better. Um, and I'm taking that in a pure vacuum of this year, not in regards to previous things that have happened in regards to his uh, antics on Twitter and, and, and those sorts of things. So disappointing because it would have been good for him to succeed there um, purely because I'd like to see Winnipeg do well and I think he would have been a crucial part in that. They don't have him now and that might hurt their playoff chances. It They may survive as far as making the playoffs but not having him certainly will very much hurt their chances when they're in the playoffs. Um even even him even him third, hurt playing on a third line is better than him not being in the lineup. But I I don't disagree with him going and having the surgery. Like we said just before the podcast, he's what is he 23, 24? You get there and, and totally tear up your labrum, and you have to have basically shoulder reconstructive surgery rather than a tidy up of the labrum. And his ability to do stuff with the park and really rip off a, um, a slap shot reduces significantly. So his ability to produce for the rest of his career would be um, up in question. So I don't blame him for bailing on the year and and looking after his That's shoulder. That's a multifaceted 
decision too. It's it's a real nice. All right, you want to throw my clothes in the shower? You want to scathe me publicly? You want to do this? You want to do that? All right, here's my final fu. Not only am I yeah. not going to, you know, play for the rest of the year. Now you can't trade me right, pretty much for usable assets right now. Yeah, that, that's the thing. Their, their ability to get anything back for him for, for this playoff run is done. Like you said, he'll go. He'll he'll get traded at the draft or or somewhere in, in free agency. They'll do it there so they can work out their cap space for, for what they want to do in the UFA time zone. So. It, it's just one of those things where I don't. I know a lot of people like that philosophy that hockey players are um, the toughest athletes going around, and they'll play through injuries and all those sorts of things. But um, some of these young guys, I think, are starting to work out that teams do just look at them as assets. So why should they break their only asset they've got, which is their body, for a team that can quite literally just ship them off somewhere else? purely because of the salary cap. So I, I don't blame someone like Evander Kane for for bailing, to be honest. No, and there's always been a, a certain level of drama with Kane ever since they made it to Winnipeg. Um, and he's certainly not... I'm not going to paint the picture. He's, he's a choir boy and all that stuff. No, he's not. Um <laughs> But I think so much of this is overblown, the the character stuff, and I think a lot of it has to do with when he took the picture with with the cash. He had the cash phone, and then that is the, funny, the, the push ups with the with the loads of cash on his back. I mean, but that's funny. To me, it's funny, but guess what? Some people in hockey can't handle, uh, you know, black player with personality. And that's the truth. And I think exactly. while this is not like the total driving force behind all the, the Kane drama, it, it's certainly at least part of the equation, I do believe. Is that a concern of, you know, you, you hear so many old players talking about the character in the room and how good this person is for the room and all that sort of stuff. In a team of... 25 rusted players, or is it 22 players that a team can carry? Not everyone is going to like everyone. You're going to have to do a pretty good job to piss the 21 other players off on that roster. And, I mean, if if those antics that Kane has managed to do, to do that to every other player on the roster, then I think that says more about the roster than it does about Kane himself. Because if you can't, if you can't handle different personalities in your locker room then you're never going to win you just you're not going to win i mean you can say what you will about the nba in regards to the arrogance and the attitudes that some of those players play but once they get onto the basketball court they're able to put those differences aside and play and it seems as though that's not possible with, with hockey i still think it's a an old white boys mentality that comes from the top down and until all of that old management is replaced by the guys that you and I grew up watching, so that age group of players coming through. So probably the guys a little bit younger than Lemieux, once those guys are in management positions, like important management positions, I think that will change. But until that happens, we're still going to see this. Like one of the what one of the complaints about Josh Hosang was his attitude, his brashness, his 
You know what I mean? And you get there and think about it and go, that can actually be a positive for a player. If he loses that, he might lose his ability to be any good in the NHL, and they're probably going to try and squish that out of him if they're not careful. I don't know. I've, I've had players that get, did not care for it all on my on my college teams, and you know what I did? I ignored them. <laughs> it was that simple. Yeah. I didn't yeah. hang out with them, and I, I didn't you know, go near them in the locker room. I didn't converse with them. I, you know, when we were on the ice, we worked hard and that was that. Yeah. And we went our separate ways after. It was the same with me when I played football here. We had a list of, there were two teams. There's the first team and the second team and you're all trained together. We had, you know, it's basically an NFL roster. I think it's 42 to 50 players that you'd have. And there are guys in that team that we just don't see eye to eye to just personality clashes, nothing more than that. So you just don't hang out. You don't hang out after the game. You you don't hang out um, in training when you're not in the drill. You don't talk to them and stuff like that. It's nothing personal. You just don't get along. But you don't you don't stop wanting to, to play with the guy. If the person's a good player, you play with them. I had guys on my team that were rampant in the whole party drug thing, and I hated that, absolutely hated it. But they were good footballers. So you cross that line. And and that was fine. Once you get back over into the off the ground, it's like, well, screw it. I don't want to hang out with you guys. It's, it's just not my sort of scene. But it doesn't mean that you you ostracise the guy and isolate him just because he's different to you. I can't believe that entire that entire organisation doesn't have people that are like Amanda Kane who like to be brash and all that sort of stuff. I just I find that hard to believe. Well. It, it is what it is there, yeah. and True. they're going to lose, a, a, in my estimation, a very good player who is cost-controlled at a very good rate, at a very young age, that can do a lot of good things. And the beautiful thing about the old boys club that you're talking about is that it will scare away potential buyers. True. So if you're willing and you have a, a club that has leadership that is more progressive and aren't worried about, you know, the intangible stuff and they see Evander Kane, the hockey player, they may get a stud for cheap. And um, Can you even think of where he might end up? Or it's because I thought about it before and it's like, how the hell do you pick where he might go? Because so many teams... I have a team in mind right now that has the assets at their disposal. And... um, are absolutely in a perfect spot to uh, make a move, and that's Buffalo Sabres. They're going to be turning it around very quickly. Next year, I think they could potentially make the playoffs because Tim Murray's tanking this intentionally. Brilliantly done, and he's got it (laughs) to the point where the turnaround's going to be extremely fast, especially if they get a McEichel, especially if they make a move for somebody like Evander Kane. Think about if you're in Buffalo on uh, opening night and Jack Eichel and Evander Kane are in the starting lineup. Just out of, just out of curiosity, I think what might – well, hang on. You're saying with that turnaround, they're not going to turn around and make the playoffs next year, aren't you? What's that? You're not saying they're going to make the playoffs next year, are you? I am. I think – I think right. they could. I, I, I can't say that for sure because there's so many moves to be made. He's in a spot where he can rip this right around and they could potentially do such a thing. I think he's got 
young players that they buried here in Rochester that will be bumping up. And I think he's got dead weight from the roster he's going to shed off. They have tons of cap space. They're going to have, I think, Eichel, maybe even McDavid on a puncher's chance, uh, Sam Reinhart, uh, Jurgensen's. I mean. I'm thinking about their back six. That's probably where I'm. Uh, they got at least three good players in uh, Rasmus Ristolainen, uh, Zadarov, and Mark Pizik. So you're saying Myers will be gone? And guess what? Myers will catch them something else. Yeah, that that's need. why I asked. And for that's Hockey Prospectus, I wrote they should go for Ryan O'Reilly. Because Colorado is probably silly enough to, to do such a thing. Oh, and they also need someone in the, in the back six. That's one of the complaints that they've had about their team all year. So you're right. That's actually not a bad, not a bad breakdown of where everything could end up. And Buffalo has three first round picks this year. That's Obviously, what, they're not tra- they're not trading the one, no. but they have two. They have St. Louis and Islanders, and they'll be in the twenties. But they could package them together and land an impact player that's on but the it's outs. A deep, it's a deep draft anyway. I mean, yes, those yeah, players they have in, options. Yeah, in twenty would probably need a couple more years to develop, but they're not looking to turn it around to win it next year. I mean, you think about the timing of all these things, that's probably going to time out pretty well. So, yeah, I mean. There you go, Edmonton. That's how you do it. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> but yeah, a team, I, I think a team like the Sabres will, will take a chance on Evander Kane. And much like Tyler Sagan, much like Jeff Carter, um, guys that had uh, – character issues in quotes went on to their other teams and, and have done quite well. I think you take uh, Vander Kane out of that toxic environment in Winnipeg, not, you know, whoever's fault it is, whatever, but take him out of that and place him somewhere new. And uh, I yeah. think you'll, you'll have a very good player at a very good cap hit for the next three years. Well, it's the it's the it's a shame for for Winnipeg in a sense that um, they've lost the ability to move this player for assets. So, um, you know, they could have done the Stewart for Kane trade, and I'm assuming that's probably one of the ones that people have been thinking about doing. I don't think that that's what's that Kane for for Stewart. What's Stewart in Buffalo? Chris Stewart. Yeah. That nah. <laughs> ain't happening. Well, maybe it will. I'm just, I'm just They're nuts saying. With this. Oh, God. Chris Stewart stinks. No, I, I, look, I totally agree. But there are people that hold value on him in the same sense that get him out of Buffalo and he'll improve. He's shown no, there's been nothing there to make me think that that would actually happen. But it's one of those things where, you know how you said you could package him with a second, with one of those first round picks? Do that, ship him out, Ugh, and you get something back. It will be terrible for anyone to pick him up. Oh, here's a topical I, I, tweet. <laughs> Sabres are out, shot 14 nothing at even strength with Chris Stewart on the ice tonight. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> From Derek I, you get, And it's it's one of it's one of those things where you get there and go, like I just wrote a piece on, on I think the Penguins should acquire Shane Doan. You've given me some pretty good arguments beforehand. Why not? But I find it really hard for teams to have 
Remember those lopsided trades you used to see? Mm-hmm. I, I just I find it so hard to believe that those will happen ever again because if people like you and me are following these advanced stats, and it's not difficult to do, how can these clubs that are worth, you know, multi-million dollar clubs not using this stuff to, to work out, oh, he looks good, why don't we pick him up? Well, hang on, let's have a look at these numbers and see whether there's some underlying problems. with. with... It's why I don't think the Penguins can actually get rid of Brandon Sutter. Yes, he, looks like a, he looks like a hockey player, no, but if anyone they, actually... They could, they could easily get rid of him. Where to? You you think that a majority of these organizations are analytically savvy? Because I don't. That's my, that's my argument. They should be. That's why that I they're think, not. So I uh, think Brandon Sutter could easily be moved. Well, then if he can easily get moved, I like I said it in well, the article. The team that he's on is not one of those analytically savvy teams. They well, then they good. can't. Then they can't. Then they can't get anything back for him of value. So it then becomes a mute point. It, it's just it's one of those things that you get there and look at it, and it's it's why I think I think Detroit is an analytical team. They haven't got there and and yacked on about it. They've just done it. It's why I think that their guys from Grand Rapids can come up and play. They they look at players and understand what's important for the way Mike Babcock likes this team to play. And they find players that they can help fit in, and and I think that um, if they make a, a little bit of an addition to their back six, um, they're already on top of the Eastern Conference. I think um, they suddenly become a team that everyone. Well, I think I called that they wouldn't make the playoffs. Um, suddenly become a team that you go, you don't want to play against in the playoffs. Hey, not all of us didn't pick them for the playoffs, buddy. I, I said I, I said I <laughs> didn't, okay? I said I didn't. I didn't have them at the top neither. So, um, I suppose we can segue into the um, the defense. That was the idea. Players on on the on the trade market because you got guys like Cody Franz and Andre Sakara, Jeff Petrie. I'm sure there are others out there, um, but you get what I'm saying, and. We'll, we're going to talk about some of the, the destinations that make the most sense for the teams, what they need. And you you brought Detroit up, and I think if they can land a, a player like a Franz and Sakara or Petrie, watch out because they're already a, a pretty okay possession team. You start adding puck movers on the back end that are pretty good at what they do and getting the puck to those forwards with speed through the neutral zone, uh, you're inching closer to that those 2007 to 09 Detroit Red Wing teams that were an absolute bear to play against. And, and they had uh, that's not good for the, good news for the rest of the Eastern Conference, in my opinion. No, no I, I really appreciate that. I, I, it's one of those things where I think Cody Franson almost didn't play last night because of a, a hip flexor issue. So um, I think for the Toronto Maple Leafs and for Cody Franson, they almost need to start putting him in cotton wool <laughs> and, and make sure that he can at least uh, get through healthy, at least to the deadline. I think the Leafs should move him before the deadline. I think they'll get more for him now than closer to the deadline. But I could be wrong because maybe TV, it gets uh, weird near those deadlines sometimes. Yeah. It's it's a real crapshoot with it, it all all it takes is one team willing to 
Overpay? Yeah, and in the timing of it all, you've seen overpayments earlier, later. Sometimes it's better to be lucky than good. But he's a valuable commodity on this market. He should give them a pretty okay return. He's a good player. I'd be interested to see if he does get traded and goes to a, a contender and plays poorly, what that would do to his um, value in the UFA in regards to whether it drops his price much or whether it's not going to make a rat's ass a difference. Because some players can, like you look at Anton Strollman, he played himself out of New York. Um, and you've written about that in regards to they kept the wrong player and all those sorts of things. But he played himself out of New York through that New York um, playoff run last year. He's just got too expensive. And I mean, Tampa are benefiting from having him, but I would almost consider it a, an He's overpay. Not too expensive, though. Well, he Makes was less than York. Dan Girardi. They just happened to choose the wrong guy. I know, I know. I know, that's your opinion. But, um, yeah, so besides Detroit, of those three players, where else would you like to see them shuffle off to to make a good improvement? Um, in the Western Conference, I think Dallas. Um, you, it's well, the team you were high on before the year, and the question marks were the, were the back end. Yeah, that's and very I, true. And I do believe that, you know, right now, similar question marks. Dallas is currently, well, they're last in their division, but um, they're only they're not that far. They're not out of the playoff yeah. race yet. They're not out of that that second wild card spot. There are so many teams in the West vying for that wild card spot now. It's actually considering how boring they're five the points out. Is. Yeah, but considering how boring that Eastern Conference is in regards to the teams are locked in, it's just a question of where they go. There are so many different permutations at the moment with, you know, 28, 30 games to go that could really flip around who ends up where and in regards to who actually just ends up in. Even in that Pacific division, teams can flip-flop from being in to out very quickly, like San Jose and Calgary looked reasonably safe there at one stage, but either, if either of those two teams go on a four or five game skid, which Calgary did earlier, Calgary did earlier. I think the there's year, one team more than the other that's more prone to that. I totally agree with that. But if either of those two teams go on a run like that, then they're out. Well, they're on the outside looking in at least. But um, you get a good defenseman in Dallas who would you Sagan and Ben out of those three who would you prefer to go to Dallas because I think you've said earlier in the year Sekera or Sekera depending on how you want to pronounce it to Dallas was one of uh, to Detroit was one of the things you you were pretty high on so that would leave you Petrie and Franzen which of those two would fit what Dallas need a little better um you know, that's not to say Sakara can't be had. No, no, no. If no, they want to um, buck up on that. But um, I don't know. I think they're all in the same ballpark for the most part. They're so all going to give you what, the, what you need. Um, yeah. It's tough to judge um, players on the Leafs in Edmonton from a possession standpoint because their teams have been so bad over the last couple of years. 
would you not just look at that in regards to relative to the rest of the team? You could. Well, yeah, you should. Obviously, they're they're positive in that relative possession metric. Um, Jeff Petrie, good, okay possession guy, even on Edmonton, but his his points doesn't generate as much points maybe as the other two. Whereas Sakara is is great at generating the points, good possession, um, eats a lot of minutes, and then uh, I think Cody Franzen's similar to Sakara in that regard. Lots of points, pretty decent possession, especially considering where he plays in Toronto, yeah. where they haven't been good. So uh, I think Sakara would be the guy I would target out of all three, regardless of. Um, what team we're talking about? Because I, I just yep. think he's the best of the bunch. Um, but yeah, Detroit and Dallas. I think those are two teams that could really use a puck moving defenseman. Of course, you know you could probably say all thirty. <laughs> sorry, all thirty could use. Yeah, another well, one. <laughs> yeah. Well, but it's... those guys really, I think, I think for Detroit, it's it's not a luxury item, but it's one that can really boost their Stanley cup chances. And for Dallas, it's almost a necessity. Well, if you were, if you, well, yeah, Dallas, you, you won't hear me argue that I, I need them to get in because I think almost all of my predictions have been wrong, <laughs> but do you think the per, for one of a better way to look at it, if Detroit were going to do this, it would be crazy for Carolina to not ask for a lot back, whether it's uh, highest draft picks or prospects. for sure. Yeah, and, and then, you know, a highly then, rated. Well, yeah, I, I mean, I suppose it could go down that way because. So does, does. Well, it um, all depends, though. D- does Carolina know what they have? Anal- we're, I'm, I'm selling this from an analytical standpoint. Does Carolina know what they have in him? So, and this is this is where I go this is where I go crazy with it in regards to how do these you know how do these multi million dollar businesses not use these things to try and get the best out of their on ice product so they can get more fans into the building, increase the ticket prices, make more of a profit. That that just it just baffles me how these businessmen don't put people in positions in the organization to take advantage of it. That's why, I mean, and you're probably right. You sit there and go, you reckon less than half the teams are using it. I find that gross negligence. Well, hold on. I think a lot of teams are are using quote unquote analytics. I have my reservations on how many are actually looking at um, the proper kind of stuff. It's one thing to use it. It's another thing to kind of use it properly. Well, I suppose that comes down to definitions of what's properly in regards to what each team values in regards to what's important and what's not, isn't it? Well, you get into qualitative and quantitative analysis and stuff like that. But, you know, it's I, I don't know what each team's using. I'm not privy to that. But, you know, when, when you see certain teams making certain moves – you, you can kind of look at it and be like, well, they're not looking at that. <laughs> yeah, no, and that's that's a that's a good argument. I, I get that side of the get that side of the coin. Like trading for Maxim Lapierre for 
a Penguins example. I know what they're not looking at. Yeah, I know. I know. So yeah, let's not you get what I'm saying? Like you can yep. deduce what you know people are valuing if you look at the numbers and they're saying this and they're bad numbers and, and in my estimation they're bad numbers and somebody else is finding value in this player, well then I can come to the conclusion that they're not valuing the same information I am. And I suppose that comes down to a philosophical point of view of what you want on the ice or what you think is required to actually win. Because you and I think well, there's reasonably... plenty of exa- there's there's so many variables involved. It's not just it's not just raw possession numbers. No, Using no, no. Possession I, I, numbers. I appreciate raw is, that. Is, is it's reckless, in my opinion. No, I appreciate that. It's one of those things where um, it's not for, for me. It's not necessarily puck possession, but it's making sure that you're not having a lot of chances against you as well. Like you've said to me before, the more you've got the puck, the more rolls of the dice you have for something to go right. But I also think that if you can't get a lot of rolls of the dice for you, you want to make sure at the very least you don't have a lot of the rolls of the dice against you either. So that's true. you've got to try and find ways to reduce that because we've seen... I've watched too many playoff series that have been won or lost purely on a fluky bounce of someone's skate or a bizarre carom off the boards or, you know, a puck hitting someone in the butt and going in and you get there and go, well, if they didn't actually get that shot on, they didn't have the opportunity to have that shot, then you can't have that chance of luck going against you. So I think shot suppression is something that teams should be looking at just as, well, I think that's more important for a playoff team than it is in regards to creating opportunities. But that's just a philosophical point of view in regards to what stats are important. So maybe you're right. Teams are looking at these stats. They're just, at the moment, looking at them at different importances or different preferences to what we think might might make a team win because I, I take a slightly different view to you, obviously. No, I love shot suppression too. That's why Marcel Gotch was such a talking point. Oh, that's that's baffling. Well, you look at shot suppression. If if because he he didn't generate much for no, but he wasn't giving up an inch. No, but against you and, get and, the, you get and, there. And, look at it though, and my yours one of your and my biggest arguments. Local tried to come through. Um, is Craig Adams? You and I both get on him all the time, but his puck suppression his shot suppression is brilliant but he brings nothing else at a fourth line level absolutely nothing else and that's the problem because you can find other players that do the shot suppression stuff that aren't completely terrible (laughs) everywhere else no i can appreciate that um you know you got to it's not. It's never about one specific stat. It's about finding a bunch of different variables and placing them together and coming to a conclusion about a player. And for someone like Adams, he's got one thing he can hang his head on, and about five he can't. So find me a player that can do a little better than that. 
And the Penguins had someone that could do that, and they got rid of him for someone that can't do anything particularly well. He's noticeable on the ice because he's constantly hitting people after the puck's gone or, or hitting the boards at least and, and making a ruckus, but he doesn't sort of provide anything that's going to help you score or stop you from being scored on. Yeah, it's confusing to me, but whatever. Yeah. Next topic? But it, um, and we kind of touched on the Western Conference playoffs a little bit, but I want to add just one more thing. Yeah, like yeah. A, a team like Calgary, who I, I don't really like much as a team, like a lot of their players, some really young, exciting players. I think Giordano certainly uh, getting some much-deserved love for maybe a, potentially a Norris Trophy. Johnny Goudreau, great young player. Sean Moynihan, um, these are good players I like to watch play. TJ Brody, you could maybe even throw in the mix there. They are good fun to watch. But they're, they're fools gold. They really are. Um, they're... 27th and score adjusted Fenwick 45.8%. That's terrible. It's 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 not good. Um, Goaltending, which can kind of cover up, you know, possession mm-hmm. at times. They're only 18th and even strength save percentage. They're the league average in that regard. So it's not like goaltending stealing it for them. What they're riding right now is the league's third best shooting percentage at 8.86. And um, I just don't think it's a sustainable business model. Uh, I think they may be able to squeak in the playoffs despite my reservations about them, but I can almost guarantee you they're going to get shellacked in the first round. Yeah, but they're the, they're the Colorado Avalanche of 2015. I mean, every... Without the Vesna goaltending. Yeah, but everyone, everyone was saying that the Avs can't maintain it, the Avs can't maintain it. I... I still think, this is purely anecdotal, I still think there's always at least one team that bucks the statistical trend. And I, they do. I think it's got to do with momentum. But they don't They don't buck the trend through the playoffs. Though. No, 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 that's right. But it, it gives you that it, it gives you that little bounce that you think, oh, geez, you know, our roster's a little bit better than we think, and then you can really screw up your development of your roster. Um, oh yeah, this is very true. And, and that's that's where you've got to try and work out whether it's an anomaly, and they're not going to continue to do this next year, or whether it's going to stick. And, and if you get a lot of players that are having career years in particular metrics, you might want to have a look at it and go, well, hang on a second, these are all out of whack from what they've done previously. They're probably not going to produce like that again next year let's not go out and sell the farm to have a crack at a playoff run. And I'm thinking Treleving's probably clever enough not to do that. Yeah, we'll see. But I guess the other uh, interesting thing, the Los Angeles Kings not being in a playoff spot right now. And I don't know whether they're going to actually turn it around. I don't... Yeah... They're only ninth in possession. They're they're accustomed to being a top five team for the most part. They're tired. They're out of legs. Some of their key players played so much hockey over the last 
three or four years, and I don't care how well conditioned you are, in a physical game like hockey, it's going to wear you down. You just you're just going to run out of legs. Like Drew Doughty can only play thirty minutes a night every night for so long before he starts to to wear down. And it's not like his numbers are bad. It's just they've had injuries this year to key players that they would have hoped would assault. Well, yeah, let's ignore them. Although he wasn't playing that well. No, but you've got players that have been injured that they are expecting and hoping to, to step up the step up the lineup, go up the depth chart. And because those guys have been injured, it, the, the same old, same old have, have had to carry the load, and it's an extra... It's Yeah, Toffoli being out hurt. Yeah, and, and Pearson missing time and, and, and things along those lines. So you get there with it, and it's, it's tough to be good all the time now. Um, you know, you can be good enough to make the playoffs. Um, this team is is somehow wired to not just playoffs but do well in the playoffs. Um, I would hate to be Anaheim again, to be honest, um, or Nashville, uh, particularly Nashville. Like they don't have a lot of playoff players with a lot of playoff experience. To so then go up against the Kings if they do squeak in, I wouldn't enjoy that at all. Kings need to. Play called the Columbus. What? Pick up someone else. Their old, <laughs> old trusty go-to, Jeff Carter, Gabrick. Yeah, well, I don't know who Columbus would have. You can't, you can't still Feligno, Felino or um, or yeah, Hanson. They're not going anywhere. Um, you know. Yeah, you're probably right. You know how you you were talking about um, actually before the podcast, we were talking about the lower end of the lower in the league, if Columbus can just keep getting injured, um, they could fall into a very nice spot to have a very, very quick turn and be very, very annoying for the rest of the next year. Well, I, I did write about yeah. that way back in maybe November-ish. And they had barely a roster. But when they were, they were really beat up with their injuries yeah. and how they could follow the San Antonio Spurs model when... David Robinson got hurt in the team totally tanked and they ended up winning the draft lottery with Tim Duncan. And then they end up like winning the title within the, the next year or so. Yeah. And it all just worked out. Like they weren't trying to do it, but you know, they had injuries and they stunk and they won the lottery. And I thought for a time that maybe Columbus could pull that off, but uh, there ain't no catch in Buffalo. No, it's, it's been- if you're in the top, if you're in the top five, you've still got a a chance to get. I know if you're in the top two, um, the first or the second. Is that if I if I misread those rules? What what was your take from that? Um, I thought if you're in the top five, you still had a chance at the number one pick, but the odds were so. It's more than that. I think it's anybody that's not in the playoffs. Now. Right, but the numbers are so stacked for the top two that it would be extremely unlikely they wouldn't win. No, it's not stacked for the top two. Buffalo, I'm assuming, is going to finish dead last. Yeah. They would only have a 20% chance. Right, so... And then it gets less from there. Okay, all right. So Edmonton, what, 15% around there? So the top two would only have a 35% chance. Chances are somebody out of the, the bottom two are going to get Connor McDavid. Hey, it's been bad enough that Pittsburgh were told, you know, 
was rigged for Pittsburgh. What happens if Toronto gets this pick? Here's how you solve all this. Show the freaking lottery balls live on TV instead of behind a closed door. Now, I do not think for a second that the the lottery for Crosby was rigged at all. But you could shut a lot of people up if you just had the ping pong balls come up like you see on the lottery every night on the 11 o'clock news. It was bad enough when they did it live for the NBA with the Patrick Ewing draft. Everyone, I remember the conspiracy being there was a corner in the on the New York Rangers on New York Rangers on the New York Knicks lottery card that that's the way Stern got Ewing to New York so they became relevant again. So I don't think you can win when it comes to lottery. I don't think whether you no, there's always gonna no matter what happens with Connor McDavid, there are gonna be some people that think it was screwy and. Uh, Unless, like, the Sabres get them and everybody's like, oh, well, they're the worst. They got them. Yeah. That's... It's going to be um, – like, what if Edmonton got them after having so many number one picks? Uh, it's literally going to be a lottery, and it's going to be what it is. But what they could do is be a little bit more transparent. They could make it a, an event out of it as well. Like, for other – Absolutely. For other commercial – The things. NHL would miss out on a great opportunity yeah. to, to sell – like, I'm tuning in. Who would? Yeah, I know. I'm tuning in. I'm in Western New York. Everybody's going to be tuning in. <laughs> it's, I can tell you that right yeah, now. Yeah, I mean, the NHL can get very quiet very quickly once, you know, you sort of you get to the Stanley Cup. And I know the gap between the Cup and the draft is really, really small now. And they've, they've Smaller these yeah, days. I think yeah. they've done that intentionally. But – you get past the first two or three days of free agency, which is July, and it goes real quiet, real quick. So I know the I know the lottery would have to be done before in all of that small small window. But you sit there. still be fun. I still don't know why they don't just put push free agency back to. Well, they're they're going to have a TV event where they you know have the cards and they're like. Here's who's tenth. Here's, but I want to see the lottery balls popping out. Like yeah, I agree. Live. Yeah. And, and there's transparency, and that ends a lot of the BS. Yeah, that I agree. So. But like you said, everyone would tune in and watch it. They'd be able to make money on the advertising. You know. It's just yeah. And that's what it's all about for the most part. Money making business. Yeah. Yeah. Um, right, wild goaltending, not needing to get rid of their coach. Yeah, it's funny. You look at a lot of coaches that get fired around the league, and the first thing I always check these days when a coach gets fired is is the team's PDO, the the luck stat, and uh, most times, guess where it is? Bottom five? <laughs> it's not always bottom five, but it's lower – than average and sometimes much lower than average and then magically because we all know whether the pdo is extremely high or extremely low it'll regress to the middle eventually so when it's really low and you fire your coach the new guy comes in and it starts to regress back up everybody's like oh well the new guy uh he's doing great yeah but he's doing better I, i understand that argument but i get there and i go 
why why was that team shooting percentage and percent it happens. so low for such a long period of time that the coach got to the point where the team went, we got a firing. Well, there's two dynamics of PDO. It's the combined on-ice shooting percentage and on-ice save percentage. So when you got a really low PDO and it's it's over the course of a long time, then you can start to strip away and say, okay, is this a save percentage thing? Is it a shooting thing? And for Minnesota, it was clearly a goaltending thing. They were 30th ranked goaltending in the NHL. So no matter how good of a possession team they were, which they were the, actually the number one team for a while. Puck was still going in the, uh, their own net. Puck was always going in the net. Yeah. Uh, they're still 29th, but that's no fault of Devin Dubnik, who's come in, and I believe he has four shutouts in like nine games with them. Yeah, now that's not sustainable. Not the shutout part, but the the quality of goaltending is certainly is something that can uh, be sustained. At least league average to above average, yeah. I think it's sustainable. And your, your, He's shown your argument in, is you're a top uh, 10 puck possession team and you've got average goaltending, you're going to go a long way in the playoffs. Well, you'll do okay. You, you'll be an okay team with a chance to win. And Minnesota 7-2-1 in their last 10 after Dubnik came out. Are they going to crawl back and, in? Yeah. The problem is they got so far down with their awful goaltending, it they're not totally out of it like Dallas isn't totally out of it. They're at 56 points with only 51 games played, so they have some games in hand. They need to catch... What are they at, 56? 61 is the lowest, Vancouver and Calgary. So they're five points back. And they're playing good hockey. It's really tough to to jump five points this late in the year. But we'll see. At least they have a puncher's chance now. Before, it was a lost cause. All of those teams that are sitting on the outside looking in, their fate is not in their hands. If they keep winning and then the other teams keep playing at 500 and those teams that are playing at 500 get a bonus, will get a loser's point. Yeah, that's... Never no, if, if teams that are losing get an L, but it's a, an overtime loss, you, you're only catching a half a point every time you win. It's it's so hard to it's so hard to, to get to catch up. It's one of the reasons why I don't like the the way the point system is. Teams can't go on a run. There's no reward for winning. There's only a cost for losing. Makes sense, and I don't think that. Uh, encourage. Yeah, you get a three-two-one system, and yeah, all of a sudden there's a, there's a reason to open up. If you you know if you're six points out and you've got ten games left, that's catchable. If you go out there and actually win games rather than in regulation, yeah, rather than try not to lose, and I think that would create a better product to watch, right? Uh oh. I think we lost Cameron. Oh, well. Basically, nope, not coming back. All right, that's okay. 
we're well into this podcast. I think we'll wrap it up there for this week. Apologies for the technical difficulties. Um, on behalf of Cameron Walsh, I'm Ryan Wilson. 